You're listening to PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. This is your host, Tim Link, and I'm so glad you're joining us today. Our wonderful guest is a friend of the show, and we're so excited for her latest book. We've got Jennifer Holland on. Jennifer's going to be talking to us about the latest book, Unlikely Friendships, The Dog's Version. Uh, it's 37 Stories of Canine Compassion and Courage. So we're always excited. We always love all of our animals, but we know dogs have a special, special place in all of our hearts. So we're going to be excited to talk to Jennifer a little bit about that. So everybody hang tight, and we'll come back right after these commercial breaks. You're listening to Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Are you confused by the overwhelming number of supplements for your dog? Developed by a veterinarian, Dr. Baker's all-natural canine system saver is designed to address many of the common problems your dog faces today, including allergies, inflammatory diseases, arthritis, hip dysplasia, geriatric problems, and more. Restore and maintain your dog's health with Dr. Baker's all-natural canine system saver. Order two bottles today and receive 20% off plus free shipping. Visit Canine System. SystemSaver.com. To get this special offer, enter coupon code RS20 at checkout. Let's Talk Pets on PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Your wonderful host, Tim Link, and I'm so excited to be here and talk to our good friend, author, extraordinaire, wonderful publisher, New York Times best-selling series author, Jennifer Holland. Jennifer, welcome to the show. <laughs> well, thank you. That was quite an introduction. I feel very well, special. <laughs> well, you are very special, and we're so glad to talk to you. It's been a little while since we spoke to you last, and we're so grateful to be put in this wonderful tour date schedule. My goodness, if you uh, folks out there haven't noticed, uh, Jennifer is everywhere from uh, Charlotte to Raleigh to Chicago to Omaha to Maryland to Houston. She's going to be somewhere all over the place, and you may have a chance to meet up with her, so we'll, uh, I'll be interested to find out what's it like to take a whirlwind tour like that. It is, uh, you know, they keep me busy. Workman is uh, really wonderful about getting me out there to promote the book, and I, I get to visit with a lot of kids, which is really, really fun because they just are such a terrific audience, non-judgmental, and just excited about animal pictures and great to talk to. So it's it's good time. <laughs> there you go, unjudgmental, just like our animals, right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> you can hear mine barking, saying, "What are you still doing in there? Get out of here! Let's play." <laughs> <laughs> Well, Jen, for everybody who knows your uh, wonderful, wonderful books, the picture books, and all the wonderful stories that go behind them, uh, starting with Unlikely Friendships, and then Unlikely Loves, Unlikely Heroes, now the dog's version. Tell us, for those that have been under a rock for a while, tell us a little <laughs> bit about you know, sort of the, the concept of the books, and how do you go about choosing all these wonderful stories? Yeah, sure. Well, so it all started back around 2010, I think. And I, you know, I was writing for National Geographic and, and doing a lot of science writing. But on the side, I have to admit, I am one of those people that, that loves 
sending and receiving all the, the cute animal pictures and videos and all that great stuff that fills up the inbox and distracts us from our work. <laughs> so one of the things that fascinated me was, you know, all these fun pictures of, of animals together that you, you wouldn't expect to see together, sometimes predator and prey, but often just, you know, two different species kind of cuddling up, showing some sort of friendship um, or for lack of a better word. And um, initially I thought these were probably mostly set up pictures and, and it really didn't uh, didn't strike me that this would be something that was actually a phenomenon with animals, that they really have this willingness to, to cross species boundaries and to really be compassionate to other kinds of animals. But the more I researched it, the more I found there are plenty of cases of that. And so the first book was really the beginning of gathering some of these stories and researching them. And, and it just went from there. There were so many good ones. I went on to loves and then heroes, kind of getting into a slightly different theme with animals doing really courageous things throughout the animal kingdom. And uh, and then dogs, of course, There's dogs are are so, so great about all of this. They just have that, that warmth and empathy that we seek uh, in our companions. And, uh, and so I just wanted to put dog stories together for all the dog lovers out there. So that's what this book is about. Yeah, and you've done a great job of it. I mean, I could not imagine, for a book like this, obviously, it's the, it's the fourth book, correct? That's out there. Yes, that's right. And of course, you've got the the, the series out there, and everybody uh, can watch the videos and, and the TV shows, etc. But now, after all this time and all the excitement, when you put a call out there to the masses and say, "Okay, send me your nice, uh, wonderful, unlikely friendships with dogs <laughs> and all their commit," how many thousands upon thousands of these do you get across your desk? Gosh, you know, I wish it were that easy. Honestly, I after the first book, I thought I would get just reams of these things. I would be getting these constantly. And I, I certainly do hear from people now and then, um, especially when I'm talking with people in person, you know, everyone has a story. Oh, you know, this, this neighbor <laughs> of mine has a dog that, you know, licks its parakeet or whatever. But, uh, but it really didn't, I didn't necessarily collect a lot of stories just kind of automatically that way. But I should put that call out there because I probably could make my life a lot easier <laughs> if people were just sending them to me. <laughs> I, I can imagine. I mean, idea. yeah, because, you know, it, um, my work, I obviously work with animals as well. And uh, when I tell people what I do and they're like, oh, well, you ought to get to know my dog or my cat or <laughs> you think yeah. yours is bad. Oh, my. So I figured all these war stories, it'd make it pretty easy for you to collect uh, the tens of thousands of different stories that were out there. Yeah, there are. And, and I, I should say, I, I do certainly have a lot of people telling me their stories. Um, it's just that we need, got to have great pictures. You know, these books really are very, you know, photo friendly. They're, they're lovely pictures that we get from all kinds of sources. And so if a story, no matter how great a story is, if there are no pictures to prove it, it, it isn't selected for the for the final book. So that's something to keep in mind. Anyone out there who has a great story to share, please take pictures. There you uh, go. Get, and, uh, high quality. <laughs> that's right. Get your stories in line. Take a great photo. Hire somebody if you need to so you can get in please, one please. of Jennifer's great books. Now, let me ask you about, obviously, these stories that, that you get, these companion stories. You know, you've got dogs that are taking care of uh, little parakeets and you know dogs that uh, swim with dolphins. Are there any of them that still to date will even for this book that just amaze you or has it become like oh well okay you know it's wow that doesn't surprise me or or each of them like oh my gosh can't believe a dog would befriend a certain type of animal 
Right. You know, I think I'm, I definitely am less shocked and amazed uh, than I was at the beginning, but, but there's still, when I talk to the people and really get the backstories on these relationships, there are always little tidbits that are just really remarkable. You know, there's a story of a, a Belgian Malinois and an owl, and this is a dog that's you know, used often as a police dog. These are the dogs that are going to chase the thief down the street and knock him down. You know, I've had that incredible experience at a dog training facility of putting on the big puffy suit with the thick arm on it so that one of these dogs can attack me so I can feel what is it like, you know, if you're a, a bad guy having a dog take you down. And so these are not sweet, friendly, hop in your lap puppy dogs. And yet this dog, this tiny little owl, a pygmy owl, is his best buddy. And, and his whole demeanor changes when he's around this animal. He's, he's normally pretty grumpy with other people and with other animals um, besides the, the owner. He's, he's good with the owner, of course. But uh, it's amazing how, you know, we don't really understand exactly why, but something about this little owl brings out a very compassionate and gentle side in this dog that could be very aggressive. And so those kinds of moments really uh, still surprise me. Yeah, I can imagine it. I know even today, reflecting back on what I do with, with animals and work with animals, communicate with animals, I'm sort of in the same boat with you. You know, I shouldn't be surprised, but each animal, you know, is unique. They have their own unique personality. And even if you have a, an animal, I would guess, in this case, a dog that has befriended, say, parakeets, the next person may have a whole different type of relationship. You know, their dog may befriend birds, but it may be different types of birds or different types of, mm-hmm. you know, a, a type of a relationship. So I can imagine yeah. each one is, is has to be a very unique. Yeah, yeah. And it's just, it's great fun, I think, just to see these personalities of these animals and how different they really are. I mean, I wouldn't have really thought necessarily about owls having personalities. I mean, I might think that, but I think, you know, the general public might not think so much about that. And and to see, you know, these animals come together and these different, these little personalities come out and, and funny little behaviors and, you know, a, a dog licking the bird's foot, trying to heal it after it had an injury. There's something really warming about that and, and just fascinating, really, to observe these behaviors. Yeah, it really is. Now, I have to ask about your own uh, menagerie that you have there. Now, you have three dogs, and you have a plethora of snakes, geckos, and uh, little critters. (laughs) Now, tell us about how did you get quite the variety of animals, and then how do their relationships work? Do the dogs pay any special attention to the uh, snakes and geckos, or is it like, eh? You know, as long as they don't eat my food, I'm okay. <laughs> or do we keep them separate? Yeah. Yes, we have these three dogs, uh, and we we have have become very interested in these Asian breeds that are are kind of the I never have the right word for it. I hate to say primitive breeds, but the breeds that have been less sort of messed with genetically. Um, you know, from compared with the Chihuahuas and of the world, but um, right. harder to train, a little trickier with small animals. You know, they're they're definitely have a, a wilder streak in them. And, uh, and so they keep us very, very busy, keep us on our toes, and we don't really let them get close to the reptiles for the most part. But yeah, the, the gecko thing sort of happened. My husband got me, I kind of wanted to have one crested gecko. I thought it'd be nice to have one little buddy. And, and he brought me a, a harem of three females and a male oh. home from a reptile show. And something crazy happens when you put those guys together. Mm, I wonder what uh, that is. I had a, had a lot of eggs and I just didn't have the heart to not let these eggs hatch. So I had a little incubator and pretty soon I had a lot of baby geckos and it just 
kept going on and on from there. So uh, I have removed the male from the female tank, so now they're separate. But in the process of before I did that, we, we ended up with quite a few geckos, which I've been giving them to schools and, you know, kids in the neighborhood who want to have a pet and, you know, get used to handling a reptile. It's, they're good animals for that kind of thing. So so they're they're fun and and then the snakes my husband that's really sort of his thing but I also enjoy the pythons and we did have a dog actually that had what we called her snake bark because every once in a while a snake would would escape its tank usually a, a human error uh, that allowed that but we we would have it and they never really went far but they would be somewhere in the house they'd find a warm place and this dog would find the snake and rather than hurt it or bite it or do anything she would kind of get down in that play position and she had a bark that was this extra sharp, high-pitched bark. And we realized after a while that that was the bark she used whenever she found a snake. It was, it was just this really strange thing and she never hurt the animal, but we would know, oh, she found, Ty found the snake. So we really kind of relied on her those times that that happened, that, uh, that she was going to discover it and let us know that she'd found it. So that was wow. a, kind of an interesting thing to witness. Yeah, yeah. And so she does this when uh, whether it's a wild snake or just your snakes or or both. Well, we haven't fortunately haven't had any wild snakes sneak into the house that I know of. Um, but at one point there was actually not to get into too many long stories about escaped snakes, but we did have one that got all the way out and was in a tree next to our house. This doesn't say much about my husband's ability to close the tanks, I think. But uh, and here's this orange and black. This was a, a milk snake. Uh, definitely does not belong in the wild in Maryland. And uh, and we heard the, our dog doing the snake bark. And sure enough, she was outside barking up at the tree where the snake was coiled. And I don't think we would have found it if she hadn't done that. So that was quite lucky that she spotted it. There you go. She's a regular snake charmer, so it works out well. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a quick commercial break. Um, we'll come back and talk a little bit more with uh, Jennifer Holland. And I want to talk to Jennifer about her writing in general, her writing styles and how all this comes about. So uh, everybody hang tight and you learn from the master herself, Jennifer Holland. So you're listening to uh, Animal Rights Show on Pet Life Radio. Sit. Stay. We'll be right back after a short pause. Well, four to be exact. Retrievers, Labradors, Goldens are the main breeds that come through our door, but we'll train anything with four legs and a tail. My husband and I own a kennel. We train hunting dogs and also have a boarding and grooming business. Our dogs, they're athletes, and we feed a very quality food. You can't get enzymes in a commercial dog food because they cook it at such a high heat that so much important nutrition is just cooked right out of it. But adding Dynavite to their diet has... Every single dog in my kennel looking better than they have ever looked. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot com. 859-428-1000. The omega-3 fatty acids. Flaxseed, zinc, alfalfa. The digestive enzymes that are cooked out of regular dog food. Dynavite is nutrition. If you want the dog to be healthy, you got to feed it something healthy. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E. <laughs> Dynavite's the bomb. 859-428-1000. 859-428-1000. Dynavite for life. D-I-N-O-V-I-T-E dot oh. com. Hi, this is Tim Link, animal communicator and pet expert and host of Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have you ever wanted to know what your pet is really thinking? Do you want to find out if they truly understand what you're trying to tell them? Ever wish you could build a better understanding and closer relationship with your pet? Well, now you can. Learning to communicate with animals is a four-part on-demand workshop. 
In the workshop, you'll learn the essential techniques that are necessary to communicate with animals, including what is animal communication, breathing correctly to achieve the perfect state to communicate with your animals at a deeper level, using guided meditation exercises and method to communicate with animals, and how to send and receive information from your animals. So if you're wanting to learn how to communicate and connect with your animals at a deeper level, visit PetLifeRadio.com forward slash workshop and purchase and download Learning to Communicate with Animals. You'll be glad you did. Let's talk pets. Let's talk pets. On Pet Life Radio. Pet Life Radio. PetLifeRadio.com. Welcome back to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. You're talking to uh, author Jennifer Holland about her latest book, Unlikely Friendships, uh, the dog's version. Uh, 37 stories of canine compassion and courage. Now, before the break, I sort of put a tidbit out there that we want to get serious about writing here all of a sudden. <laughs> But I always like to talk about, you know, talk to authors and get their feel because obviously you've written, as you said, uh, you've written for uh, National Geographic, uh, New York Times, NPR, Discovery Channel. So this is, you know, you've been out there in in some serious publications and uh, your background, you know, has been also in that uh, science and natural history, which I don't know, no offense to those that are in science fields or history. I'm not sure how jovial or fun or cute pictures you get. Right. <laughs> What's the balance there? How's it different? How do you keep people engaged when you're doing both? Science, uh, natural history may not have uh, fun little pictures. Tell us about the comparisons, maybe um, the differences that aren't so obvious, and then some maybe the things that you use to get your uh, message across uh, on both genres. Yeah, that's a great question. It's, it is an interesting line to walk because I – you know, as a science writer, when I'm writing the more serious stuff, you know, I'm, I'm keeping in mind maybe a little bit different audience, but you still want it to be compelling. You still want people to enjoy it enough to keep reading. If it's too dry, um, too sciencey, and too heavy, you know, you're going to lose a lot of general readers. And so it's it's about, I think, being, you know, a little bit playful without losing credibility without overdoing it. And writing these books has been fun for me because it it allowed me to go a little bit farther in that direction, a little bit more playful. It's not heavy science in the books, although I try to, you know, leave questions open about, you know, why why does this happen? What what does this behavior tell us? You know, in my introductions, I always get into a little bit of what we know about the science and what are people studying? What don't we know about what animals think and feel? And so I, I try to sneak sneak some science in. I have little fact boxes usually in the stories with some interesting scientific tidbits as well. But when I'm writing for for National Geographic, for example, there's, you know, there's definitely a, it's a little drier, but I, I try not to lose that fun, compelling style that keeps it moving. And one thing that helps that is that I'm interviewing interesting people who are excited to talk about their work usually. And the best thing of all is when I can actually go somewhere and spend time with the people and the animals in the wild, because then I'm writing from a place of experience. I've, you know, my senses have been out there. I've been listening and watching and smelling and maybe even touching, you know, it's all those things come together and make the writing, I think, much, much better. So those are the things that I use to try to keep the articles from, from getting too, too dry and too stilted. And then again, the books have sort of let me be playful, but at the same time, I, I don't want to, you know, 
go overboard with anthropomorphism and I want people to remember that, you know, we we're learning about this. We don't know for sure. A dog smiling looks like it means something to us, but we don't really necessarily know exactly what's going on, you know, different behaviors, different expressions. Um, there's, there's a lot that we still are learning about uh, what animals are capable of and, and what their actions mean. Yeah. And I think when you say each and every time that you're around animals, whether we're talking domestic or wild animals, there's always something new to be learned. I mean, whether you're talking about yeah. it really from a scientific standpoint or whether you're talking about it from a uh, just a social standpoint. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and you can go out there and, of course, we're human, so we always have expectations and we have, you know, our own baggage or whatever you want to call it, our own knowledge base that, that is going to influence what we think we're seeing. But, but as you say, there's always something new, there's something surprising, and there's really, there's nothing better for me than, than being out, out there somewhere, you know, observing animals in the wild, doing what they do, and, and just thinking about how, just how amazing it is, how incredible to, to be a part of that and, and just how much we still really have to learn about, about the natural world. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. So then uh, let's ask about, let's go back to the uh, the books when we're talking about the unlikely friendships. I know this, <laughs> let me, I'll, I'll try to put this in a polite way because uh, I know editors sometimes listen to the show, I should say, in publishing houses. But what is the trend here? Do you see this uh, being uh, something you're interested in continuing doing? And is there certain areas you're wanting to explore? And are your editors beating down the door saying, okay, you got to get a new one of these out every single year? that's actually a good question as well um you know i think you know from my perspective you could continue i could continue to gather these kinds of stories we could probably do an endless you know 10 shelves full of, of books of the same kinds of stories i feel like there are so many great things about animals to write about that i'm i would be really excited to to take a step to the left or right and and examine animals in a slightly different way i'm thinking about some ideas and proposing them now actually of of ways to get you know similar format similar idea of true stories but maybe something a little more focused on the people-animal relationship. But I think, you know, again, I think people love these unlikely friendship stories and, and hero stories with animals. And what's been so great about it is, you know, for one thing, it's brought, I think, a lot of um, a lot of smiles, you know, to people during times that have not been necessarily very happy around the world for lots of reasons. It's great messages for kids because it's all about, you know, expanding your you know, being willing to be friends with those unlike yourself, being kind and gentle, having empathy, you know, just just thinking about something other than yourself. And that's that's something I try to get across when I speak with, with the kids at schools. And so this just this positiveness that comes from these stories, I think, has been one reason they've been so popular. And, and certainly I wouldn't want to walk away from something that's making people happy and, and uh, that's selling well and, and making my publisher happy as well. So so I guess the answer is, uh, in the short short answer is, I'm not really sure yet if there will be another unlikely, but there will definitely be more books from me and animals will probably be the topic. There you go. I like that. I like that. Let, let's uh, tackle one more question from a timing standpoint. I, I highlighted it, I think, earlier. And uh, first of all, let everybody know how they can find out more about you and your events and, and where they can uh, meet and greet you and all those wonderful things. Sure. So workman.com, the, the publishing house has a, a page about me and they 
I believe, post information about where I'm going to be traveling. I also have a, a personal website, cuttlefishpros.com, kind of an, an odd name. And I am putting together actually a, another site now that will be focused just on the books, probably just under jenniferholland.com, something like that. But once that's up and running, I will um, link that to the Cuttlefish Pro site. And that will always have a list of where I'm going to be and when. And uh, yeah, so those are probably the best ways right now to get that information. And some of the towns I'm visiting, um, they've been having nice articles in their local papers when I'm coming to visit and gives information about what bookstore is having me and what schools I'll be visiting as well. There you go. So we'll make sure we post those and get those out because obviously leading into this, I mentioned a little bit earlier about your uh, wonderful tour and how Workman's uh, doing a great job getting you out there, but you're also keeping uh, your bags packed at all times, it looks like. Your schedule for this book is basically publicity from September through the end of the year. Is that correct? <laughs> it, it certainly seems that way. Yes. Um, luckily, I'm, I'm kind of going chunks. So my publicist very kindly does like a week on, a week off. So I get to come home and take care of my dogs and my husband every once in a while. But um, <laughs> but yeah, I'm, I'm really traveling all through the fall and into December. I think my last stop in December is Miami, which seemed like a, a really good way to end the tour uh, on a cold winter day, uh, hopefully in sunshine. Hopefully all these storms will be gone by then. So it's a long tour, but it gives me a, a really great opportunity to um, to talk to a lot of people. And I really, I do enjoy that part of my job. Yeah, absolutely. And it's great that you can get out there. It's great that you have a publishing house that's willing to do that. How do you juggle these things though? Because obviously you're still doing, this is a great part of your life, but I'm assuming you're still writing other articles as well as taking care of life in general and writing for the next book, (laughs) these type of things. So what's your your daily life? Are you very regimented up at four o'clock in the morning writing 5,000 words (laughs) or (laughs) are you like me and wait until a week before the deadline and get it out there? Yeah, you know, it, it varies. I, I tend to be um, the kind of person who's not very, you know, I don't schedule everything down to the minute, but when the time comes that something is due, I, I do make my deadlines. And uh, so actually at the moment, I've had this week at home and I have two articles, both due pretty much by the end of this week, one for National Geographic and one for the Nature Conservancy. So I've been really, really, you know, sitting in that chair and and trying to get those things finished and turned around to a point where my editors are happy. And uh, and then I get back on the road on Sunday and, and head back out. So it's you know, sometimes there's a lot of, of butt in chair and typing away, and sometimes I, I have a nice, you know, time where it's really just just about the book, and I'm not thinking too much about, you know, the next article uh, until I get a call, and hopefully, you know, I'm told, well, you're going to have to travel to the Solomon Islands, and, and you're going to have to write this, this fun article about these marine turtles, so you better pack again. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm not complaining. It's, it's a great experience. Yeah, absolutely. Tough life on, on that front. Well, I know some for uh, you know. I know for some writers, they thrive on having a, a lot of different oars in the water uh, things going on uh, at one time, and some are a little bit more regimented and want to focus just on their one project or two projects at one time. Right. 
Right. And that I think that is generally easier, just having one thing on, on your mind, because sometimes it all kind of starts to run together if you're working too many hours in a row on too many different things. But um, but having a little fire under you isn't isn't a bad thing. I do find that I, I do a lot of my best work when, when it is kind of down to the wire. So. There you go. Well, you're doing a great job. I'm excited to see you. I unfortunately don't see Atlanta in our in our uh, itinerary here for, uh, but I'm going to oh, keep an eye on it. There, maybe that's a shame. That's that a could shame. change. Hopefully, everybody's listening. We can get you down this way. But I'm sure there's there's wonderful places. Definitely check out, see where uh, Jennifer's going to be, visit her, see what's going on, tell her how great her books are. You know, once again, the latest book, Unlikely Friendships, Dogs Version, 37 Stories of Canine Compassion and Courage. I'm sure it's available in every bookstore out there, your independent bookstores, your other uh, big block brick and mortars, as well as go online to get your copy. Uh, you're going to love it. And with the holidays coming upon us, it's going to be a great book for uh, everyone in the family. So uh, Jennifer, once again, it's Jennifer Holland, Unlikely Friendships, the dog's version, 37 stories of canine compassion and courage. Jennifer, wonderful talking to you again. Uh, congratulations on putting another fine book out there. And uh, we're going to look forward to seeing you again and talking to you again real soon. Thank you so much. This is always fun to to chat with you. So thanks for having me back on. Oh, it's our pleasure. It's our pleasure. Well, uh, we're coming to the end of the show today. I want to thank uh, everyone for listening to Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. I want to thank our uh, producers and sponsors for making this show possible. Uh, If you have any questions, comments, ideas for the show, people you want to hear on the show, please drop me an email. Email me at tim at petliferadio.com. That's tim at petliferadio.com. And I'll be glad to answer your questions, entertain your comments, and bring on the people you want to hear from most. So until next time, write a great story about the animals in your life. And who knows, you may be the next guest on Animal Rights on Pet Life Radio. Have a great day. Let's Talk Pets, every week on demand, only on PetLifeRadio.com.